we're so very excited, and I think, uh, you know, I think God has got some great things going on. I know that Erica was looking for other jobs and other employment and something better than, you know, shopping groceries and things like that, and it uh, didn't seem like anything was coming along, and then all of a sudden, boom, God just worked, and the timing was amazing, and uh, a month ago, it probably wouldn't have happened like this, but uh, God has made a way, and so we're so very, very thankful to God. Open your Bibles, if you would, tonight to Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> Mark chapter 10, once again. For those of you who might be taking notes, and Brother Al back there in the booth, I have titled tonight's message, Realities of Faith, Part 2. Last week was three realities of faith, so tonight is simply Realities of Faith, Part Number 2. So... Opening your Bibles with me tonight, turning to our gospel uh, of study as recorded by Mark. We're working our way through this 10th chapter and have been, as you know, for a couple of weeks. Now, tonight's portion of scripture, right in the middle of this chapter. And it really, uh, in looking at it and reading through it, it really is a natural follow-on to what Jesus had been teaching uh, as we studied briefly last week with the realities of faith. Now, the last portion of our text last week was dealing, if you recall, with a rich young ruler that came running to Jesus, acknowledging him as master, and asking, what must he do that he may inherit eternal life? Well, he was certainly, if we recall that, he was certainly a dedicated young man if his response that he had observed all the commandments Jesus mentioned, even from his youth, were any indication. Because Jesus said, do, you know, he said, uh, yeah, where is it? He said, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, all these things. And he said, all these I have observed from my youth. <clears throat> so he was a diligent young man, to be sure, uh, given that indication. But still, there was something missing. He had no real assurance that he would obtain what he was seeking. Because he came running to the master. What must I do? You see, he didn't feel as if he had done enough yet to justify his expectation that he was in the right favor and position to obtain his rightful inheritance. Now, wait a minute. Where did you get that from? Isn't that what he asked for? Now, verse 17, if we were to look at that, he said, uh, verse 17 reads, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Uh, eternal life. Well, generally speaking, when we talk about inheritance, inheritance, generally speaking, is something that is given or received as a right from our ancestors or something taken by natural succession to a predecessor. Now, of course, there are circumstances in which an inheritance can be and is gifted, but the sense of the word here, inherit, means to obtain as a rightful heir. Now, unless we have received Christ as our Savior and have been, through that faith and belief in Jesus, adopted into the sonship, into the family of God, the only thing that we have a rightful inheritance to is the eternal destination of the place called hell. Unless we receive Jesus Christ. 
and we're adopted into the family, then our eternal life in heaven becomes an inheritance. So after Jesus, the Bible told us, after Jesus loved him enough to show him, to show this rich young ruler that he was putting his faith in the wrong place, that is, he was putting his faith on his own achievements, on his own possessions, on his own works. After Jesus showed him that that was not the way to do it, the Bible says that he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. You see, his, his question was, what must I do? Well, you can't do anything to earn your way there. And that is where we pick up our text tonight. Matthew, um, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, picking up the text in verse number 23. Follow along in your Bibles, if you would, as I read down through about verse 34. Verse number 23 says, And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold, now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last First, verse 32 says, And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day... He shall rise again. As we look to this message tonight, Realities of Faith, Part 2, we'll explore a couple of thoughts. First, we'll look at a faith misdirected. And then we'll look at faithfully following. And thirdly tonight, as God permits, faithless fearfulness. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, may your will be accomplished here tonight. Lord, I just ask that you would fill each and every one with your spirit. Father, you would give us the understanding to, to see your word and, Lord, to see how it applies. And, Father, to be honest before you in our hearts. And, Lord, may the Holy Spirit of God show us if there be something that we need to bring to you and confess. And, Father, if we need to get right with you. But, Father, bless and meet the needs of this evening. Bless your word tonight. May it be your word alone that is seen here, not this servant of yours. But, Father, may Jesus Christ be exalted. We ask it all now in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we start with faith misdirected. You'll remember from last week we had talked about a faith rebuked, and then we talked about a faith rewarded, and then a faith revealed, right? It was revealed that this young, rich young ruler did not have his faith in the right place. And when he was corrected, he got upset. 
Jesus said, your faith needs to be not in your possession. Your faith needs to be in me. He said, go sell what you have. And then he said, go take up your cross and follow me. He, was, he didn't like that. It was not good to him. Well, Jesus' first statement here seemed to go against the prevailing thoughts of the day. And quite frankly, the, those same prevailing thoughts are in existence even in our day today. That thought process tells us that as long as we work hard, as we are kind to people, we earn a good living, we set aside for the next generation, and generally be a good person, you see, that's the thought process, even giving charitably to those in need, then when we die, this God, who is supposed to be a loving and good and forgiving of all kind of a God, should see that I have done my best and will reward me for my efforts. That's the prevailing thought of the day. Do good, work hard, earn money, set something aside, give to the church once in a while, and you'll be okay. Well, Jesus', Jesus words here seem to completely go against that. After all, I mean, how could a God of love and forgiveness ever condemn someone to such an awful place as hell? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 24 that the disciples were astonished at his words because the prevailing thought of the day just went completely against what Jesus said. Isn't it normal when all our lives we're taught to work hard and have good manners so that we develop a good reputation and eventually have the money that we need to uh, and the ability that we need to have all that we could want in life? Isn't that the normalcy in our society? Well, sure it is. Even now, if you look at our society, around the world even, even now there are more millionaires and more billionaires than we could even imagine in this world. But what does it mean? I don't know how you're going to spell that, but you can spell that in your notes any way you want to. It means nothing. If everyone's a millionaire, who cares? <laughs> Why is it special? But that seems to be nearly everyone's goal in this day and age. I gotta find myself a side hustle so I can earn my millions. I gotta go play the lottery so I can get that $573 million jackpot. I have no idea what it is, I don't play it. I don't waste my time or my money. But that seems to be everyone's goal in this day and age. So this teaching that Jesus had was clearly new and different, even for the disciples, and it was hard to believe. The Bible says that they were astonished. But Jesus then clarified a little bit what he was saying. Again, in verses 24 and 25, look at your Bibles. Verses 24 and 25, the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? He goes on in verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now his point was that when our faith is misdirected from God and placed on our own accomplishments, it becomes a near worthless effort. The disciples still they still kind of misunderstood all the teaching about obeying the Lord's commandments and thinking that salvation was dependent upon the things that they would do. They essentially expressed as much in verse 26 where it says, And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Well, who then can be saved? 
If all that we've ever been taught is worthless, who can be saved? Well, notice that God's word also has the answer. Because Jesus, according to this next verse, he, it says he looked upon them. Now, if you recall from last week, Jesus had beheld the rich young man and loved him. That means that he looked upon him, he understood him, and he loved him enough to tell him the truth. And in this next verse, Jesus looked upon his disciples with that same love and discernment as he did with the rich young ruler. And he explained plainly that they were right to question the point of trusting in their own actions and abilities and accomplishments when it comes to their eternal destiny. Because Jesus said here in verse number 27, Jesus looking upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God. With God all things are possible. Note that because mankind is naturally separated from God, there is nothing that man can do to reconcile himself to God. However, God has made a way. It is very specific, though, as Jesus said, with God all things are possible. In other words, it is only possible by being present or near. That's what with means, being very, very near to God and to abide by the way that God has determined to be reconciled. That is through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. There is only one way that God is determined to be reconciled or saved as the disciples had questioned, how then can anyone be saved? And that way, friends, is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Romans chapter 5, verse 15 tells us this. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. What does that mean? Read further. It says, for if through the offense of one man many be dead, much more... The grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one, even Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Now, some might say, well, that means that everyone is saved. No, it does not. What it says is that if through the offense of one, many be dead. We know that death has passed upon all men. But the Bible tells us that the grace of God and the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ has abounded. What does that mean? The difference there is death or separation from God has been passed unto all men, but the grace of God and that gift of salvation has, bond, has abounded or it has been made available to all who will choose God's way. Now don't let your faith be misdirected by human logic and tradition. Rather, let your faith be in Jesus Christ and in him alone for all matters in our life. For as much as we put our faith in and give ourselves to serving God as he leads, God will become our all-providing sufficiency. Our all-providing sufficiency. Isn't that what God told the Apostle Paul? My grace is sufficient. If, if we will put our faith in Christ and follow near to and abide by God's plan to be reconciled, 
God then becomes our full sufficiency. But if we continue to rely upon our own riches, our own abilities, our own understanding, God is not our all-sufficiency. We are not not yet there. Which brings us to the second point tonight, faithfully following. Now, in the light of what Jesus was teaching here, and the astonished disciples trying to grasp and understand Jesus' statements, Peter suddenly chimes in. Don't you love Peter? I mean, Peter, you know, you got you to kind of feel for Peter. Impetuous as he is sometimes, you know, he just kind of blurts things out once in a while. But Peter suddenly chimes in with a statement that perhaps he felt would be some kind of a calming affirmation to the other disciples by highlighting what they have all given up and thereby satisfying this thought that they were certainly not trusting in their own riches. Look what the Bible says in verse 28. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Now I suppose some might say that Peter was kind of bragging or boasting about what they have lost or what they've given up for the sake of following Jesus. Maybe he was. Or maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was simply acknowledging or trying to acknowledge what what had happened. We really don't know that. But what I find wonderful is how quickly Jesus interjected an exhortation against going down that path of, hey, look what I have given up to serve you, God. See, that's a very, very dangerous path. It's a very slippery path. Maybe that's what Peter was starting to say. The Bible says he began to say unto him, but Jesus cut him off. Well, I don't know if he cut him off. That's not what the Bible says. But Jesus said unto him, see what he says in verses 29 and 30. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, that's truly, I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Now it is amazing to me to see how this conversation progresses and then how Jesus brings the point right back to what could be one of the most difficult feelings that we as humans have to resolve. What does that mean? When we begin to fully trust and follow Jesus Christ, and when we begin to make the changes in our life that actually start to bring honor to God rather than living to satisfy our own pleasures and desires and even our senses of duty based on you know long-term family traditions, when we begin to live according as God would have us to live, it is very, very likely, almost guaranteed, that we are going to lose some friends. And it's very likely that we may have family turn away from us. And it's very likely that we will certainly not have some of the profitable opportunities that the world tries to ensnare us with. But Jesus said, if we are truly trusting and being faithful to follow Christ and abide by God's directions, then in the course of our faithful service in this life, God will provide new friends, maybe true friends that won't leave because we're serving God. 
And he'll provide a new family. I don't know about all your families outside of these walls, but inside these walls we are a family. And I treasure this family, sometimes more so than extended parts of my own family outside. Because we're here and we're near and we all love the Lord together. And we can support each other. God will provide that new family. God will provide sufficient possessions in this life along with the persecutions that we face by identifying with Christ, the Son of the one true, holy, and righteous God. And on top of that, on top of God providing the new friends, the new family as it were, because now we're adopted into the family of God, and besides, and on top of God providing sufficient possessions for what we need in life, the Bible tells us that the ultimate reward, or as the Apostle Paul calls it, the prize is waiting for us, as stated right there in the end of verse 30. And it says, and in the world to come, eternal life. Without Christ in the world to come, it'll be a much different, very, very different and very tragic eternity. And here's the dose of reality. We were talking about the realities of faith. Here's the dose of reality. Because Jesus has been teaching on the matter of where we place our faith, verse 31 says, But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Now there is an understanding of this statement that highlights that the more we have, And the more we hold on to in this world, the more prominent that we are in this world, the higher status that we hold in this world, it will often take much longer for that one to realize what is most important and needful and relinquish their hold, if they ever actually do, to allow God to be their all when we're that prominent, when we have that many things that we hold on to so dearly, it's going to take a long, long time. That first in society will be one of the last that God may be able to use the longer we hold on to things. By contrast, those who choose to put Christ first in their lives are often the least desired and most hated in society. Many times they don't believe they have nearly as much to hold on to and it's worthless anyway. They're going to follow after God. But these are they whom God will lift up and exalt. These are the preferred of God, if you will, over those that think themselves to be so important that the world is a better place because of them. God much prefers the one that puts Christ first. Much prefers the one who is hated by the world because they know that they're not in control. That God is the one in control. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. But there's also an exhortation here that just because... Now Jesus is talking to his disciples here. Just because these disciples may have been personally called by Christ, tapped on the shoulder, follow me. Just because these disciples have been personally called by Christ, it does not mean that God will use them more effectively and more often than others who might come come to faith without ever having seen him personally. Faithfully following Christ 
means that our only desire ought to be to fulfill whatsoever calling God has given us to do according to his purposes so that he gets the glory. I'm reminded of when Jesus said, you've seen great works, but greater than these works shall ye do. I'm reminded of that because this, that's what this is, is talking about. The, many the, but many that are first shall be last and the last first. You know, some of the greatest things that I've seen accomplished come from, I don't know if you want to call them ordinary, but I suppose by some social classification. I mean, they might be ordinary people, regular Joes or regular Janes or whatever your name might be. But some of the biggest downfalls I've seen is those that are in such high prominent positions, even those in very high religious positions. And those are some of the biggest tragedies. Faithfully following Christ Our only desire ought to be to fulfill whatsoever God has called us to do according to his purpose and to do it for his glory, not for the accolades that I can get, not for how wonderful it's going to make the world around me, not for how rich it's going to make me, but so that God can get the glory. That's the heart that God can use. Brings us to our last point tonight to close. Faithless fearfulness. We'll close with these verses, verses 32 through 34. Let's read them once again. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen to him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. By this point... In his ministry, Jesus has already told his disciples and taught them more than once how he would be delivered into the hands of the chief priests and the religious leaders. He also has told them, and if you remember, when he called the twelve and ordained them to be apostles and gave them power to preach and to heal and to deliver from unclean spirits, he told them that they also would be delivered up unto councils and scourged. They would also be hated of all men for my name's sake. And you can find that in Matthew chapter 10. And that they would be persecuted because the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. They too would suffer the persecution. So the disciples had this understanding in the back of their minds and in their hearts. And here he is. We're on the way to Jerusalem. The holy city the very place where the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, they all reside there. This is the place where all of the terrible things would take place that Jesus has been speaking of. And the Bible says, Jesus went before them. He was leading the way into certain horror and deadly persecution. The Bible says that they were amazed. I can't believe he's doing this. He knows what's there. Why are we going there? They're amazed that Jesus would follow and just march right on up there. And the Bible says, and as they followed, they were afraid. I'm reminded of the many times that Jesus exhorted his disciples saying, O ye of little faith, 
Or the time that he addressed the crowd and said, Oh, ye faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Now our text goes, goes on to say that Jesus took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen to him. Now he specified this was not what would particularly happen to them for at this time it was not their time to go through this. This was Jesus' time. Yes, persecutions would come. Yes, persecutions may be worse for some than for others. But today, they needed not to be fearful, for even though these things must happen to the Son of Man, it would not be the end of him. Why are you fearful? Because he finished his statement with, and the third day he shall rise again. Oh, what joy that should have brought. But no, they were fearful, faithless Fearfulness, And we need not have the same kind of faithful, faithless fearfulness. For we find once again in Hebrews chapter 13 as we close, the second part of verse 5 and going into verse 6, the Bible tells us, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Man is going to persecute us. We need not be faithless or fearful because Jesus rose again the third day. He's not leaving us. He is not forsaking us and he is my helper. Amen? Pastor, would you come? Well, this has been a day of faith and uh, fear, hasn't it? With Brother Scott this morning, two messages that he had was on faith, faithfulness, and then tonight with Steve. And I looked at uh, Mark chapter 10, and verse 30 says, And in the world to come eternal life. We know that once you come to a saving faith in Christ, you have eternal life. Everybody has eternal life. The soul and the spirit will live on. It's just where it's going to spend at. But I couldn't help but think over in, in chapter 11. Because there are Christians in this world today who really have it tough. Yep. Believers in a Muslim country. Yep. They, the radicals who just don't kill you as look at you. And the same thing goes for China, North Korea, Russia. Maybe not so openly in Russia. But there are Christians who will not surrender. You couldn't help but think of people like Knox and Huss. So many of those men in the 16, 1700s who were willing to be burned alive at the stake rather than to renounce their faith. They made a choice because eternity was more important. They knew it was just around the corner. And it says there in chapter 11, Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured and not, accepted deliver, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Amen. A lot of believers in this life, they're getting to heaven. But I, I wonder what the quality of that resurrection, if we die first, or the rapture is going to be. Mm-hmm. So we have to realize that we're on probation. 
as believers. And the most important things in our lives should be the things that are important to God. But it goes on and it says there, it says they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a what? Good report. That was their life. Their life was lived, and God determined that it was a good life, a faithful life, a dedicated life. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Abraham never saw the city. Well, he sees it now, but he didn't see it then. And all the way down throughout that whole chapter, God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect or mature. What a blessing to hear all the messages today on, on faith and faithfulness. We have a wonderful history of men and women who were faithful. They're our witnesses. That's how it begins. A great cloud of witnesses. This makes sure that for the next generation, we are the, that witness. We are that cloud of witnesses. Amen? Father, we thank you again for this time that we can be together. We thank you for the message that we've heard today. And well, we pray that we will take seriously this walk of faith. Well, this is not just something that we just got to dilly-dally along. Lord, we're not on a stroll through a park. Lord, we're on a mission. And Lord, we're headed for an eternity with you. And in that eternity, we're going to have responsibilities in the millennium here on earth. And off into eternity. But Lord, as we are walking on probation here, our faith is on the line. Our faithfulness uh, that is uh, to the things that you expect of us, that's on the line. And so, Lord, we're so thankful that eternal life is ours. But, Lord, the quality and the character and the nature of it is also very important as well. So, Lord, won't you guide and direct and seal up these messages so that as they, as, as they uh, take hold of our heart, Lord, we'll find ourselves focused on eternity. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.